Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, here we are again. It's such a privilege to be having the chance to speak to you wherever you're watching this and whatever device, whatever screen you're seeing this through. And man, maybe you have just joined us for the very first time. You've never seen anything we do with the church at Suncoast Church. Maybe a friend told you about us. Perhaps you've stumbled across this. Man, it is just such a privilege to be able to share with you. My name's Jono, if I haven't had the chance of meeting you before. And obviously pre-ISO days, we used to gather on Sundays and Fridays and midweek and all over the show. Uh, and now we're doing it this way. But honestly, that's okay because we don't go to church. That's not what defines us, but where we go. We're defined by who we are and whose we are. We are the church. And this is an amazing opportunity we have to continue to live out our faith, to be followers of Jesus. And so it's super cool that you would join our conversation we're in as a church. And at the moment, we're talking in a series called Address the Mess. And this is week number three in the series. I don't know what the current environment that you are sitting in right now looks like. Maybe you're in the living room with your family and you're having breakfast together or drinking coffee. I hope you are. That seems super cool. Maybe you're in your bedroom. Maybe it's an absolute mess. Wherever it is, we just figured this is a really cool time to address the mess. Now, if you think about messes in our lives, there's a whole lot of different kinds of messes. And often we can associate a mess with negatives, but the truth is there can be many, many, many positive messes. I mean, if you think about it, the, if you're cooking a delicious dinner, you're going to make a mess, okay? If you're going to build a house, something you, you know, really want to do, you're going to make a mess. But then there are negative messes. And if you could be honest, sometimes the worst, the worst messes that we'll ever encounter are those that happen suddenly, the unexpected messes. Again, if you're cooking, you can expect it. You're prepared for it. You, you'll, you have margin and grace to make a mess, and that's totally fine. You know, if you're building a house, that's fine. You are expecting a mess, but it's the messes that happen that you're unexpecting. They can be absolutely the worst. For example, those messes when you're about to leave the house and you're in a rush and then something breaks or someone falls over or a fight starts and someone breaks something in the house. Like the unexpected messes, aren't they just the worst? Maybe you're on a date and... You spill something on your shirt or your dress, and it's like, ah, so it's unexpected messes. The suddenly, those messes that kind of come out of nowhere, they are the worst. There's something particularly evil about those kinds of messes. Maybe you're on your way to a car, in a car on the way to a function, and suddenly a tire pops or something goes wrong. Perhaps you're even out in public with a child, and they have a little accident, and there's no change of clothes, and then there's a horrible mess going on. Whatever it might be, there's something peculiarly horrible about the suddenly messes, those messes that happen unexpectedly, unplanned for, unprepared for. There's something peculiarly just nasty about those kinds of messes. And so they happen in, in many different cases in our life, and they're worth addressing. It's what I want to address today. I know being a pastor, and I've been a, a pastor in, in, in one way or another now for over 15 years in different capacities. And there's a question I'm often asked that, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I, I often dread, and it's this question, what do you do for a living? Now, for most of you, if you get asked that, it's a pretty straightforward answer for you, and you answer it, and you don't think much about it, and you, you move on with conversations. But 
Sometimes the profession of being a pastor, when I have to tell someone that, I don't know what's on the other end of that answer. Because often it can trigger experiences in people, bad experiences in people. Maybe they've encountered it, and everyone's encountered a bad religious person before, right? And all of a sudden, my title becomes the object of someone's hate or, or venom they want to spit out, whatever it might be. Now, I know what you're thinking. Please stop judging me because you're thinking, Jono, you, because you're a pastor, shouldn't you love the chance to just tell people that? And, and you know, then you can share the hope you have. Now, you would think that, but I'm telling you, if you're out on a date with your wife or you're having a family day, whatever it might be, and someone brings up that question and you don't know what conversations it might start, it's a fight that you might not want to have or it can create a mess suddenly that you aren't prepared to address, that you are not in the mental space to do or the emotional state to do. And so often messes can just come out of nowhere or tensions can come out of nowhere. Conversations can just suddenly happen and the suddenly messes have a unique cruelty to them. But here's what's remarkable about Jesus. It's his whole ministry was filled with suddenly events. You know, Jesus didn't kind of hand out flyers when he was coming to a new town. And, you know, that rarely that dynamic really happened. Often Jesus would come across a person or someone would chase him down. And, and being an itinerant rabbi, someone who was on the road, his whole ministry journey was filled with suddenly moments. And Jesus would suddenly come across a broken person or a broken life, or Jesus would suddenly encounter a mess. And so our Gospels, the first four books of the Bible, which, which illustrate are biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are filled with these stories of Jesus encountering messes suddenly in these brief moments. And the incredible thing about Jesus is He addressed every mess He met. Jesus addressed every mess He met. And if I just take a moment to say how amazing this is to know that in Jesus Christ, we have God showing the whole world that our messes do not frighten God off. And maybe you feel like God is somehow repelled by the messes of your life. Maybe you feel rejected by God because of the message you're in. What we see in Jesus, and we're gonna look at one particular illustration today of this, is the heart of God towards us in our messes. And I want you to know right now, if you have found yourself in a mess, in your life, it might have happened suddenly. God has not abandoned you, and God has not forgotten you, and God is not angry at you. God is interested in meeting you in your mess. And if you're someone who has never perhaps understood God's heart for you, or you never lent into the Christian message, and maybe you've had the thought that you have to have your whole life cleaned up before God wants anything to do with you, or before you could ever belong to a religion like Christianity, would you have to understand Christianity as a at its core, is a message about a world that is imperfect and humanity that was in a mess and a God who decided to delve into the mess and mire and grime and filth of the human experience and all of our wars and injustice and bloodshed and offer forgiveness, healing and salvation to a broken world. Jesus dived right into your mess. And so, I come across one such occasion where this takes place. And this is in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And Luke's account, Luke was a doctor who wrote this Gospel and he went about giving an eyewitness account of what took place. And so in Luke chapter 10, it tells of one such suddenly moment that Jesus encounters. And here's how it goes. In chapter 25, Luke writes, on one occasion, an expert of the law, this is the Jewish law, the Torah, what we know as the Jewish scriptures or the Jewish Bible, 
which is incorporated into the Christian Old Testament. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. (laughs) Here's just a casual question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, I want to just look at this for a moment, how this conversation begins. It's super important for our conversation today. Starts off here by saying, doesn't give background, it doesn't give context. It simply says, on one occasion, a lawyer stands up to test Jesus. Just on one random occasion, here was Jesus, God knows what he was doing, and a lawyer stands up and asks him the question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It was just suddenly, just on, on one occasion, Here's the question. And this is like, this is so illustrative of Jesus' whole ministry. He'd encounter moments like this all the time. And he asked this question about eternal life. Just a casual, easy question for Jesus to deal with, right? Just on one occasion, this pops up. Now to understand just the, I guess the weightiness of this question. When we think of the term eternal life, wherever you sit on the belief spectrum or your understanding of scripture, we can often fall into the idea of thinking that when we hear the term eternal life, just this one-dimensional idea of what happens in the next life or what happens after we physically die. But in the Jewish context, particularly 2,000 years ago, the term eternal life was so much broader than just what happens one day when and after I die. It incorporated the now, recognizing that God has a plan for all of eternity and for all of time. And eternity is happening right now. And so this whole idea of eternal life is this picture of God's plan, not just for after I die, but God's plan for my life now, what it means to fully embrace life of God as God intends it to be right now. If you think about it, aren't we all really chasing the answer to that kind of question? Or at least maybe haven't put it in those terms, but surely we're looking at ways that we can embrace life in all of its fullness and all of God's best intentions for our life right now. To have that eternal life-giving experience, to be the human that our Heavenly Father has truly created me to be, to, to be the best me. In other words, hashtag to live your best life. This is what he's asking. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I experience it to the full right now? Again, just a casual question he asks. And, uh, you know, as Luke said, on one occasion, it just pops up. And then Jesus has to address this deep, multi-layered, complex, convoluted, and often wrongly taught and definitely wrongly understood mess on just one random occasion, it pops up. Now, here's what's worth noting. In this moment, it may have been on the lawyer's mind, this question of how to inherit eternal life. It may have been on the lawyer's mind, but this question is always on God's heart. And like many things in life, at times things will pop up and come to our mind and will be in our thoughts and be on our mind, but they're often always on God's heart. There are messes in our world that at different times might be on our minds, but they are always on God's heart. There are messes in our lives at times when things get into a mess, they're then on our mind, but they are no doubt areas in our life that are always on God's heart. And here's what I wanna look at just for a moment. Why some messes in our world or some messes in our life might at different times come to the surface and be on our mind. We have to recognize a lot of the time these are messes why they're just momentarily on our mind, they are always on the heart of God. For example, we have a pandemic that we're living in, in our generation right now. 
You didn't need me to tell you that. But it's on all our minds. Right? It's this suddenly moment. We didn't plan for it. And God willing, before we know it, we'll be able to move on to this next season of life. And it'll be a memory. It'll be a story we tell. But right now it's on our mind. We have talk of economic recession. And, you know, it's on our minds. It's a present reality right here. And hopefully we have to get to the other side of this. And then again, it will be put to the history books and we'll talk about it as a memory. But there's something else right now in the world that's on all of our minds too. That, and you can't turn on the television or open your phones or have barely have a conversation with anyone without hearing, hearing about this particular issue that's on everyone's mind. And so it should be. And it's the question and the topic and the tension of racism. Now, it's on all our minds and we're all talking about it. But make no mistake, just because it's now on our minds, this issue has always been on God's heart. And why in different times, events will take place that trigger the conversation or bring it to the forefront of our newspapers and our media and our, and our conversations. This is an issue that doesn't just come and go in the heart of God whenever someone brings it up. It's an issue that is always on the heart of God. This isn't a mess that sometimes is in vogue to talk about it and sometimes isn't. For God, it is always on His heart. The downtrodden, the broken, those who have had injustice committed against them, that is always on God's heart. Racism is always before the eyes of God and He is always moving towards where there is mess. The abused, the neglected, the murdered, the hated, they're always on God's heart. Justice, mercy, compassion, reconciliation, they are always on God's heart. And if we, you know, for our community and beyond, if in this moment, this suddenly moment where it's on our minds, have the chance to lean into what God is always about. My take is, let's do it. Let's lean into it. Because this is something that whether it's in popular conversation and pop culture or not, this is an issue that is always breaking the heart of God. And this is an issue that is always on God's heart. And if we have a moment while this is on all of our minds, let's move towards the mess. Let's walk towards the mess that is on God's heart. And let's move towards where God always is. And God is always in a place where He desires to address the mess that we find ourselves in. So back to this story. This suddenly happened, this big question about eternal life. And so Jesus, after he asked, well, how do you read it? Verse 27, the lawyer answered, this is my take on what to do to inherit eternal life. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And here's the other take. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus is like, you nailed it. I asked for your take on it. I didn't just want to tell you. I wanted to see where you were at. And he goes, love God with everything you got. It's not just a Sunday thing and it's not just a religious practice thing. It's with my mind, my body, my actions, all of me, my, my emotions. And also I'm to love my neighbor. And Jesus is like, spot on. Don't just believe that. Now do that. Go and do it. And it's, as a side note, it's worth noting, Christianity isn't just about 
what we believe, it's about what we do. We're known as Christians by what we do, not just by what we believe. In fact, we demonstrate what we believe by what we do. So Jesus says, great, now that you know it, go and do it. And then it takes a very interesting turn in the very next verse, 29. It says, but the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus this question. And well, who is my neighbor? Now this is super fascinating. It's almost as if the lawyer was saying, so Jesus, just to clarify, just to clarify. So I answered correctly, love God, love my neighbor. But just to clarify, when you say neighbor, you mean, you mean those like me, right? They're the ones, that's who my neighbor is, right? Those who I get along with, those who I agree with, those who are, I'm in the same club, club as, right? Those who are like me, that's, that's who you mean, right? In other words, he's saying, who, who don't I have to love? You know, who is my neighbor so I know who to love and so I can exclude others so I don't have to love them? Ultimately, <laughs> this lawyer, he was looking for a loophole, a loophole in love. And the term here, he says he was looking to justify himself. He wanted to justify his own prejudices, justify his own biases, justify his own worldview, justify the echo chambers he was involved in. And he was looking for a loophole in how he had to get out of loving people whom he didn't want to love. I remember, I remember stories in my life and times in my life where I've definitely looked for loopholes. In fact, and for those of you who've got brothers or siblings, you will relate to this story. Many, many years ago, I just want to clarify that, many years ago, and I don't endorse what happened in this story. I just want to give that disclaimer. But me and two others, my brothers, so the three of us, we got into a particular, um, let's say a tussle. And one of the brothers was annoying me and my other brother. And he was annoying us so much. Our parents were out and we just got so over how annoying he was being. So we decided the two of us will gang up and beat up the other brother. And so began this three-way fight. And we went at it. And what was supposed to be just a quick confrontation went for over an hour. And there were fists flying, we were wrestling. Me and my other brother decided it'd be a great idea to tie the other brother up, be easier to physically do harm to him as brothers just love to do. Again, I know I'm painting a grim picture and my parents are probably losing their minds over this story right now, but God bless you. So we're wrestling and then it got so heated eventually, the other brother was putting up such a great fight that the three of us, so violently hit the wall that we damaged the wall and put a hole in it. Okay, and a side note, what was amazing is the doorbell rung and we're like, oh no, mum and dad are home. We looked out the door, it wasn't mum and dad, it was the police and a neighbor thought there was something so violent going on in the home that they should call the police. And when the police poked their head in the door and saw us three brothers, they went, ah, you guys are fine. And they got photos with the brother who was tied up. They thought it was quite hilarious. And the police left. Thank you guys. And... But when mum and dad got home, of course, they not only saw the aftermath of a crime scene, <laughs> mum and dad, they asked the question, particularly when they saw the damage to the wall, they asked the question, and if you're a parent here, you know the question they asked. Who made this mess? Who put this hole in the wall? And of course, if you're a child here or a sibling, you know the answer to the question. It wasn't me, right? It was the other brother. It was them. So again, blaming others, but the truth is we all had a part to play in the mess that was made. And then after this came the justification because we were all blaming. Then we started to just, in fact, we we're all responsible. We tried to find ways of justifying it. 
And we started doing deals, right? Well, remember, I'm the son that you love mostly, mom and dad. And remember the good I done. And remember, I actually did the lawn the other day. And so we start finding loopholes in where really we're all responsible. We all made the mess, but we quickly tried to find ways to get out of our responsibility. We were looking at loopholes. And this is exactly what this lawyer was doing here. He's trying to find loopholes in love. He's trying to find a way to justify his way out of clearly Jesus saying, the best thing to do is to love your neighbor. And so in answer to him trying to find a loophole and justifying himself, Jesus then tells this story. And here's the point of today's message. And it's one that's really well known. And if you're someone who's kind of new to the Christian conversation, it's very likely you'll kind of pick up the nuances of this story. It's about what we know as the Good Samaritan. So in verse 30, this is how Jesus replies to him. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And there was a well-known path between the two cities. And he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Here's how the story goes. A priest, a priest comes along. He happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too a Levite. Now a Levite was, uh, the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of, um, of Israel. And it's very likely that the lawyer who Jesus was having a discussion with right now was indeed a Levite himself. So he would have personally been seeing himself in this story. So Jesus said, now a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, the man had been left there half dead, he too passed by the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the bands of, into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now to understand the true gravity of this picture, you obviously had the priest, the Levite, and a Samaritan is, Samaritans were a particular group, a particular race of people that were at complete odds with the Jewish people. There was a long history of violence, of hatred, of animosity between the two groups. And Jews and Samaritans would have nothing to do with each other. So Jesus, in order to illustrate his point to the lawyer who asked, well, who's my neighbor? He intentionally wanted to almost be antagonizing to the lawyer by drawing out something that would have brought up racial tension and emotion and history. And so brought up this brought up the idea of a priest, of a Levite and a Samaritan. And what's interesting about this story is they all responded in a certain way when they saw the man who was in a mess. And who was this man who was beat up assaulted, left half dead. And each of these three men saw him, but then Jesus drew distinctions about the different responses to define what it means to be a neighbor. My question I wanna ask you is, what do you do when you see someone in a mess? Our world is messy. And what do you do when you come across the mess yourself, when you see it? For anywhere in the world, how do you respond? And the two options Jesus presents us, pretty simply, he says, one, 
to walk by the other side, or two, you walk towards the mass. And these are the two options that Jesus presents us with when we personally encounter and personally see mess in the world. It can often be overwhelming, right? When we see the great problems and great distress and great messes in the world. And like the lawyer, we ask, what do we do? And how does this look? Jesus presents two options. You can either walk by the other side, but what a true neighbor does, he walks toward the mess. So what do you do when you encounter mess? Do you respond like the priest and the Levite? And let's look at this for a second. The priest, and again, the, 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 the lawyer here would have well understood the role of a priest. For a priest to be walking from Jericho to Jerusalem, there was a well-trodden path for priests because he would have obviously, priests would be going to do their service at the temple. They would have been on a regular roster to do the ministry there. And, and you know, he couldn't touch a person that would be dead because that would make them unclean. They couldn't do the, perform their rituals and the man seemed half dead. And so you can just imagine the priest in here making, and the lawyer making a good, good argument for the priest. Well, he, because of his position and because of the religion, he wouldn't have to help the man. Again, finding a loophole why they shouldn't have to help or shouldn't be a neighbor finding a loophole in love. And my question to you is, does your religion cause you to move towards the message you see? Or does your religion cause you to just criticize the mess or to bypass the mess or to ignore the mess? For the follower of Jesus here, for the Christian, does your Christianity, when you see the mess, does your Christianity simply cause you to make commentary about the message you see? Come on. Does it cause you to simply make judgment calls? and to just post about it? Or does your Christianity cause you to walk towards the mass? Maybe you go, well, it's the priest's job. You know, the professionals take care of that. And maybe there's someone who goes, well, it's just those who are paid to love people that should be walking towards, or paid to help people that should be walking towards the mass. Jesus goes, you've got two options. You're either someone who walks past or walks towards. And then you've got the Levite. And again, the Levite was a tribe in Israel spoke of a culture or a group of people. So my question is, does your culture or your tribe or the group you're a part of, your background, your family, your profession, your socioeconomic status, wherever, however you group yourself or identify yourself, does your belonging to a group or culture or background cause you to walk towards the mess or to walk by the other side? I really want you to ask this. If you don't stop to ask this, it's no help to nobody, least of all yourself. Then you have the option with the Samaritan. The Samaritan was considered an enemy in this story, perhaps even worse than the robbers who committed the crime. The Samaritan was considered another. And what we can look from the response of the Samaritan here is what it actually means for you and I to be a neighbor. And here's what I wanna ask you today, particularly when it comes to addressing the messes that happen in the world the real question is, how do you and I be a neighbor to the messes in this world? So the first thing we see here from the Samaritan, simply put in verse 34, it says, he went to him. He didn't walk by the other side like the priest and like the Levite, he went to him. The first idea of what it means to be a neighbor is walk towards the mess, go to them. Don't stand at a distance, move towards the mess. It is super easy. It's far too easy for you and I to pass judgment and criticize from a distance and to see a mess from a difference and make our calls on it and to make judgments on it. But our view of anything changes when you go close. It's hard. I mean, it's been said many times. It is hard to hate someone up close. 
It's easy when you keep walls and boundaries to, make, to throw criticism and judgment. But when you walk towards it, the view changes and you don't see a distant mess. You see a person, you see a mess up close. You seek to understand, you seek to listen, to feel and to cry with. And the first point of being a neighbor is walk towards the mess, go to the mess. The second thing that happens here, it says he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine. The point is this, we are to minister, what it means to be a neighbor is we are to minister where people are hurting. And it might seem super easy to point out, but how often can we have an idea of how we best wanna help? But we can often provide answers to questions people aren't asking. We can often provide ministry to where people aren't hurting. What Jesus says here, it's to be a true neighbor, is minister to where the hurt is. And every now and again, our society highlights somewhere where there's pain and where there's hurt and where there's injustice. And it's in that moment that a neighbor, who Jesus defines as a neighbor, minister to where there is hurt. And every now and again, a different area of our society begins to hurt. That's where we get to minister to, to the hungry, to to the disenfranchised, to the unhurt. And it's worth noting that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach about, Jesus just didn't bring the message of the kingdom. He also brought the ministry to people of the kingdom. That's where we saw people get healed, people get accepted, people get validated, people get included, people get loved. And the message of the kingdom of God isn't just a message about, it's also a ministry to. And we outwork the ministry of God, not just in what we believe, but in what we do. And how we outwork it is in ministering to where the hurt is. And finally, it says, he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. He paid for all of the expenses and left extra money there just in case any further expenses incurred. And here's the point. The third way we can be a neighbor is to use the resource we have to help. Now, people who own utes, you get this point like no one else gets. If you own a ute, you know this because that inevitable call comes or that text message comes through going, hey, can I borrow your ute this weekend? Right, so you understand what it means to use your resources to help. So if you're someone like that own a ute, unfortunately, the bad news is you can't use that as a loophole to get out of loving, but you understand this point. Here's the thing, you've got to use the resources you have to help. The Samaritan, he used what he had to help. And I want to make a point here when it comes to being a neighbor. And I could be wrong here, but if you simply, when you see a mess in the world, just post about it online, and that's what you do. And you think that's where your responsibility ends. And you feel better because you've posted. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with posting, but if that's where you think your responsibility has ended and then all of a sudden you're experiencing, you feel horrible about something, but you've posted and now you feel like, ah, I, I feel better. You've found a loophole. You're like, well, I've posted about this. Job done, okay? If we stop short on using our resources, then we stop short on loving. If we stop short on resources, we stop short on loving. And this is what Jesus showed with the Samaritan. Not only did he not walk by the other side, he walked towards the mess. He ministered to where the hurt was. And then he used his own resource to help the man. And whatever resource you have, if you're willing to go, God, use this. Wherever there's a mess in the world, if I have the ability and the means and the resource, I want you to know 
it is of use. And so when we see a mess in the world, instead of just looking like this lawyer to justify ourselves, I want you and I to ask the question, and here's the question, how can I be a neighbour? Whenever you see a mess in the world, I want you to ask this question, what does it mean for me to look at this through the lens of a neighbour? And then to be a neighbour. Jesus here defines neighbour as someone who shows mercy, compassion, shows love and action. Now notice he didn't say that the Samaritan made peace with his differences with the Jews, didn't make peace with their past, didn't reconcile their differences, didn't feel warm and fuzzy or close towards the guy, just said he ministered to him. And this is where often we can feel this weird tension about how do I be a neighbour, say to an enemy, to someone who we're not on the same page, to someone who we outright disagree with one another. Being a neighbour to an enemy doesn't mean agreeing with them. Being a neighbour to an enemy doesn't mean thinking that they're a particularly nice person. But what it does mean, and this is super important, being a neighbour does mean that you treat even an enemy in the same way you and I have been treated by our Heavenly Father. That's what it means. And ultimately, this is what this story is truly about. It's about who is telling the story, Jesus. Jesus ultimately is, for the world, the Good Samaritan. He didn't bypass the mess of humanity. In fact, He entered our mess. God the Creator became human, entered the world that was in such a mess. He walked towards us. He ministers to where there's hurt. And then out of his own resource of love, he paid the debt that our mess incurred on our lives. And he paid it in full through his death on the cross. Jesus didn't settle for simply commentary or posting or silence. He entered our world. And so now as followers of Jesus, and if you are following Jesus, and if you're a Christian, we don't address the mess and we don't move towards the mess and we don't love the world because we're being told to. We don't show compassion and generosity to others because we've been guilted into it. We don't you know, love the world because we've been shamed into it. We do it. We address the mess that is in the world. We walk towards the mess. We show compassion. We be a neighbour to the world because that is what has been done for us through Jesus Christ. That's why the Christian does it. It's worth knowing that in a world where there seems to be so much mess, that ultimately our hope isn't a simply human endeavour. Our ultimate hope is what Jesus has already done for the world. And while we'll often try to address symptoms, Jesus has done, dealt with the core issue of all the pain in the world. And Christians know that as sin, it's sin. And Jesus came to deal with the root issue of all the problems in the world, the root problem. It's a sin problem. And in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And for those of you that have never been able to hand over those problems that maybe have caused such a mess in your life, you're gonna be able to hand it to Jesus and be able to know His forgiveness and grace and acceptance for your life. And we're gonna pray for that in just a moment. But I wanna finish with pointing this out. It's worth 
noting right now is sometimes it can be overwhelming when we see the sheer enormity of messes across the globe. And we can't solve all the problems of the, all the problems of the world. We just can't. But you can minister to the pain right in front of you. So here's my point. Whatever comes into your view, that is for you. Whatever comes into your view, whatever you come across, whatever you comes into your space, into your life, that is for you. You can't do everything in the world, but you can do what's in your view. Notice that in this story, the Samaritan didn't come across the robbers, so he couldn't give a commentary or a judgment or you know, punish the robbers. He didn't come across the priests or the Levites, so he couldn't give his criticism of their inaction. He came across a broken man. And because that's who he came across and that was in his purview, that's the man in whom he ministered to. And that is the mess he addressed. What he had in view is what God gave him to do. And I think it's the same for me and for you. God loves you. He loves the world. Maybe in your life right now, you have never experienced God's love for you. You can right now know that personally. I wanna pray for you. And if you've watched up until this point, my hunch is that there's a, at least a curiosity about what is a life, as the lawyer asked, what is a life that is connected with this idea of eternal life? What does it look like? And how do I get that? How do I attain that? You can begin your first step today by putting your trust in Jesus for your life. So I'm gonna pray right now. I want you to be included in this prayer. If you wanna pray this prayer with me out loud, the words are gonna be come up on the screen. And you can pray this. You can pray this verbally. You can pray this in your heart. This is your first step towards eternal life. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for entering my mess. Thank you for offering me grace, forgiveness, and a second chance. I turn from my mess. I accept Jesus. I choose to follow you. Amen. God bless you. I'm praying for you. I love you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.